Before our brother uh, Jerry Smith comes and opens the word with us this morning, let me just share for a moment some of his background so that you could feel like you know him just a little bit. Pastor Jerry is a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary in 1964. That's before half of you were even born. Okay? But he's not a very old man. He's pastored for seven years, taught in a Bible college for eight years, and for the last 25 years, he has been on staff with Biblical Ministries Worldwide. Biblical Ministries Worldwide, or BMW as they go by, is a mission organization that has captured my heart in many ways. There are a lot of mission agencies that talk about partnering with the local church. But for many of them, it remains what I would call happy talk for the most part. But Biblical Ministries Worldwide is seriously committed to partnering with the local church, and in particular, coming alongside the local church, helping them to raise leadership from within to train them in the Bible and theology and then facilitate the process of releasing at least some of them out to the world of international missions. And that captures my heart, beloved, because that is a ministry philosophy that is woven deep into the fabric of this fellowship. The last three missions commitments we have made have been elders, our elders of this fellowship, whom we have sent out from among us. So we find great compatibility with BMW and Foothill Bible Church. For the last four years, Jerry has been working specifically with churches in the process of identifying leadership, training leadership, and doing strategic planning so that the church of the 21st century can move forward with confidence and with power and advance the work of the Lord. Time is growing short. We don't know when Christ is going to return. But one thing we do know for sure, that it's closer today than yesterday. And beloved, I, uh, for one, don't ever want to have to stand before the Lord when I give an accounting for my life and have him ask me, what did you do with what I had entrusted to you? The time is short. The hour is urgent. We need to give ourselves to the work. Brother, come share the word with us. Thank you very much for this privilege and opportunity. It's been a great weekend for me to get, you know, one of the most exciting things in the world is to get to meet another group of God's people and just build relationships that we can continue to, to have as the years, whatever years the Lord gives us to continue to serve him and see exciting things happening in the church. You know, um, I've discovered that sometimes, it's amazing that this might happen, sometimes churches have difficulties and problems. <laughs> and and I, some people just almost come to the place sometimes where they say, well, that's, you know, I don't, I'm just ready to give up and forget the church. You can't. It's God's plan for this day and age in which we live. And I believe that if you'll recognize it and get involved to the fullest capacity that you can in God's plan, you'll be involved in a local church and exciting things will happen because God's work is always exciting. Now, I'm going to talk to you today about a subject that 
that is very, very important. And it's uh, one that um, some people are not used to at, to a certain extent. And the subject I want to talk about is a subject that we call core values. Now, somebody says, well, what in the world is a core value? Well, it's a value that's core. <laughs> right? It's a value that's very important. It's a, it's a something that's so important it becomes a, a top priority to you in your life and your thinking and everything about that. In fact, everything right now, everything that you do and say and where you go and what you do is determined by your core value. You may not have known that, <laughs> but it is. The biggest problem I find is that people rock along in life doing what they do and not knowing for sure why they do it because they've never examined and determined what are my core values. But there's another problem that's almost as bad as not even knowing what your core, core values are, and that is uh, not having the right ones. <laughs> It's bad if you don't know what they are and they're not the right ones, right? <laughs> I believe that there are some specific core values that are talked about in Scripture. And I'm going to talk about a couple of them. One, one of them I really appreciate. It's, in, it's found in Matthew 10, 31. You don't, if you want to look, but it's, it's just a very simple verse there. Uh, Jesus said to the disciples, you are of more value than many sparrows. That simply states that to God, people are a core value. <laughs> In fact, he loved us enough that he sent his only begotten son to die for us. That's, that's a tremendous thing to me, a great encouragement to know that not only does I know God have core values, but I'm one of them. <laughs> There's another verse in John chapter 8 where it, people are talking to Jesus and he's stating about his philosophy and core values. He said, I do nothing of myself, but I do always those things that please the Father. It simply means this. I don't do anything to please me. I do everything to please him. Now, you know, I, I live in a world today that has changed their whole philosophy of thinking away from anything biblical. <laughs> um, one, of the, one of the major philosophical thinking of the world we live in today is called humanism. <laughs> humanism really believes this. Don't do anything because somebody else wants you to do it, but do everything because you want to do it. <laughs> do, not just do what you want to do, but everything you do, do it because you want to. <laughs> And definitely don't ever do anything simply because somebody else wants you to. <laughs> now, there's sometimes, I remember when I was growing up, I wanted to do what I wanted to do. But I knew at times that what I wanted to do had to be changed because I wanted to do something else. Not because my dad wanted me to, but because if I didn't, I knew what I was going to get. So I changed my want to, you see. But Jesus said the total opposite of that. I don't do anything because I want to do it. 
But everything I do, I do because he wants me to do it. I do it to please him. Now, I believe that every one of us as Christians have recognized that if we trust in Christ our Savior, we have a responsibility to live in such a way that he wants us to do. And one of the, one of the things that all of us have realized, whether we practice it or not practice it, is that my life, I'm supposed to be living it to please him and to focus on what he wants. I believe that. I committed my life to please him. And once I did that, I never had a problem again. Right? I found out that I still have a problem with pleasing him because sometimes I still get carried away with what I want. Now, you don't have that, right? In fact, the problem is pretty worldwide. <laughs> and I would be surprised, in fact, I, I wouldn't be surprised, except I know you were lying if you told me you didn't have a problem with it. In fact, every person I've talked to so far in this world had a problem with it. <laughs> my top priority in my walk with the Lord should be to please Him, right? That's my core value. But there are sometimes when circumstances and situations come into my life and switch my core value or replace the right one with some wrong ones. You ever had that happen? The answer to that, if you want to do it, is yes. If you don't need, if you need a prompt. Uh, <clears throat> I learned something, though. Uh, in the, the class where Vincent was teaching, and he told a few stories about his own past or his help. I learned something when I was in third grade that I think is probably the best help for me in understanding this problem with core values. In, in the third grade, we had an opportunity to see a... Um, I'm trying to think of the right word because we weren't allowed to see movies. So they showed us a film. <laughs> this film was called The Three Musketeers. <laughs> Everybody ever heard of The Three Musketeers? Not the candy bar now, the, the, the people. Three musketeers. How many were there? No, you don't know anything if you say three. There was four. In fact, let me see. Who can name all four of them? Aramis, D'Artagnan, Porthos, and Athos. Athos, Porthos, Aramis, and D'Artagnan. That's the four. Now, we're not going to test you to see if you remember them, but it's good. Anyhow, the, the, the three musketeers, who were really four, could do what better than anybody else? Sword fight, right? And so when the movie was over, all of us third graders wanted to do what? Sword fight. Now, we didn't have swords at school, and they couldn't bring them. So we made swords out of sticks, or just got sticks, and we began to sword fight. And that lasted two or three hours. 
until the school outlawed <laughs> because several people had large knots on their head <laughs> and bruises on their arms. So we weren't allowed to fight with sticks and swords, stick swords and stuff like that. So it's hard to give up sword fighting when you're just getting good at it, though. <laughs> and so around our school, there were a lot of cedar trees with long, floppy branches, and we decided to break off the branch and sword fight with cedar branch swords. Now, you didn't bruise, it didn't cut. It burned <laughs> if it hit you on the skin. And we decided after a little bit of sword fighting around that we wanted to get everybody in. Instead of just watching two people do it, let's get it all in. So we divided up into two armies, my army and the enemies. <laughs> and we went on two sides of the school to plan how to defeat and conquer the enemy. Now, I was born a runt. I never grew until I was sophomore in high school. Uh, all the time I was in school, I was smaller than all the rest of the boys. I was smaller than all the girls. Uh, I, I, didn't, I weighed about 90 pounds when I started the high school, and I wasn't but about five feet tall. By the time I finished my sophomore year, I was five, ten and a half, and weighed 160, but I didn't grow when I was a little kid. And so I volunteered to be a scout because little people can hide. And I began to sneak around that school getting closer and closer and closer to the enemy. And I, I got close enough, I was beginning to hear them plan. Then suddenly I heard a noise behind me. And I looked around and all the enemies weren't over there. Ten of them were right there. They surrounded me. Every one of those ten enemies had at least one cedar branch sword. Two or three of them had two. And they began to use them on me. Now, I, I had a long sleeve shirt on because that was helping my arms. And I, I wore, anybody ever wear what they used to call stocking caps? that had a roll, and you, when it got cold, my mother made me wear this. I didn't like it, but I had to wear it to school. And if it got cold, you rolled it down on your ears. And, and as they began to hit me, my ears were burning, so it wasn't cold, but I rolled it down <laughs> to protect my ear. And um, suddenly, in that situation, I developed two core values. Two very, very important core values to me at that time. One was to protect my face and neck. <laughs> the other was get out of there. <laughs> I reached up and said, if that will protect my ears, maybe if I pull it all the way down, it'll protect my whole face and neck. And so I did. I pulled it down. That solved the first priority. The second one I solved two. I took, got up and took off as fast as I could go. Now, in that, I had forgotten that there is a core value that should not be dropped. That was, it's important to see where you're going. 
I woke up about 30 minutes later. <laughs> they told me that I had run into the brick wall of the school. Now, you get a little picture of the title for the message, Avoiding Brick Walls. If you could see where you're going, you wouldn't hit the brick wall. But remember, my circumstances had got so bad that I changed core values. And when you change core values, what happens? You hit brick walls. Is that right? Now, maybe some of the walls we hit are more figurative. But we hit them. Isn't that right? Because we allow all of our circumstances and situations to pull us off our core value and replace it with something that seems core at the time. But it causes problems because we get off target the main thing. You know, I think that happens in our life when it talks about pleasing God. Not only did I find out that all most of the Christians, in fact, all of them I've talked to today have a problem with that. I studied the Bible, and I, every man I found just about in the Bible or a woman had a problem with keeping their priorities right, their core values. And suddenly I found a man that didn't, though. There's no, nothing ever implied and taught in any way that Daniel ever got off target with his core values. Turn to the book of Daniel with me. We're going to look at three verses in the book of Daniel or just three passages. But um, the first one is in chapter 1. And it basically just tells us in, in this passage that it refers back to what Daniel had done even as a young child. In chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat. See, that goes along with his purpose, his commitment was that he was going to please God, and if, and if anything came in the way of pleasing God, he wasn't going to do it. Now, did he have any circumstances that possibly could have got him off target? Yes. In fact, they told him, you've got to eat this and drink this, and he said, no. Why? Because I'm committed to my one most important core value of all, I want to please God and keep him first in everything. What God wants, that's what I do. And so Daniel was committed to that. Now, I found Daniel committed himself to that. And then I found that I committed myself to that. And then I found that Daniel stayed with it. And I found that I struggled with it. <laughs> And got off target. And I said, what's the difference? Didn't we both make the same commitment? Yep. Is Daniel that much better man? Well, maybe. But maybe there's a reason. And in studying the book of Daniel, there are two instances in Daniel's life that teach us what Daniel did to make sure he didn't get off target. And I believe that if I can learn to do the same thing, make it a priority or core value to keep my core value <laughs> and make sure I keep it the right way. I do what it takes to keep it, right? Turn in your Bibles then to uh, the chapter 6 of Daniel. And this is a story, and if you don't mind, uh, you, can, you can look at it, up and up, but I'd kind of just like to tell the story. <laughs> Daniel 
Daniel was working under uh, King Darius. And, and King Darius was actually a really good king. <laughs> but if you're going to do a good job of being king of a lot of countries, it doesn't give you much time to enjoy yourself. <laughs> and so Darius said, you know, I'm, I'm going to come up with a plan. So he came up with this plan. He selected a, 120 uh, satraps or princes or whatever you want to call them, but, but he made them. Uh, each one of them to be ruler over one of the 120 provinces that he had. So he had 120 uh, leaders in order to run the country to take the burden off of him. But he said, you know, it's pretty hard to trust 120 of them. <laughs> and so he said, I'm going to select three presidents and they will oversee these satraps. And that means each one of them has about 40, right? But he said, I want to make sure I can trust those three. So I'm going to put one of them over the others. And who did he put over everybody? Daniel. You have any idea why he picked Daniel? I know God's sovereign. I think he picked him because he knew that you could trust Daniel completely. You didn't have to worry about it. If Daniel was in charge, nothing wrong, no cheating was going to be happening, right? Did you know that, um, I don't know whether you found out this, but it's, it seems like a lot of times when you put somebody in a place of authority in our governments today, they figure out a way to start cheating or something. I, that's not necessarily true of all, but it, but it seems to happen, right? And... Um, I think these fellows had a lot of, how can I help me a lot? <laughs> and that's the reason Darius set this up. Now, the one thing about it was that that means there was 123 men overseeing the kingdom with this new setup that Darius had. But 122 of them didn't like it. Ever, ever, now, these 120, do you know why the 122 didn't like it? Well, there's probably two reasons. One of them is maybe an important reason. They all wish they had Daniel's job. But there's another reason that you have to figure out from understanding the context. The other reason was, with Daniel there, they couldn't get away with anything. And they'd rather have anybody else but Daniel. <laughs> you see the difference? And so they said, let's catch him. And so it says in, in, the, in verse uh, 4, Then the presidents and the princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Now all 122 of these men and all of their uh, subordinates and work with them, I don't know, it could have been a thousand people had one job in their minds. Let's catch Daniel doing something wrong and report him. Now, if, if, a, if a thousand people watched you, how long would it take them to find you messing up? <laughs> Even just a little bit, right? But they couldn't find a thing wrong with Daniel. 
right? So they, they said, and they knew. They said, um, we'll never find anything wrong with him unless we can come up with a plan where what the king wants him to do will contradict what God wants him to do because Daniel always knew what? What was his core value? I want to please him and only do what God wants. And did everybody in the world around him know that? Yeah. And they said, if we can come up with a plan. So they came up with this great plan and they went to Darius and said, you know, we have a great plan. You are the greatest king, the greatest person that ever lived. So we would like to suggest that for 30 days we make a law that for 30 days nobody can pray to anybody or anything except you. Now that's quite a plan, right? What did Darius think about it? Oh, that's pretty good. Now, I don't know whether you realize it. Even if you don't believe in God, it's a bad plan. <laughs> do you know why it's a bad plan to do that? Even apart from the fact that it's taking worship away from God? Here's what's wrong with it. Why just 30 days? If I'm that great, why, what's going to happen to me after 30 days? Am I only going to be around 30 days? Why worship me 30 days and quit if I'm as great as you say I am? Right? So he missed that point. He said, okay. So they made the law. And once they make the law, he can't change it. And he missed what they were trying to do. And they caught him. And so in verse 10, after Darius signed the decree, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God, just like he always did. In other words, he did not change. And one of the things he had made a commitment to do in order to keep pleasing God and keeping him first in everything, in order to do that, Daniel said, I'm going to spend time with God three times every day. Now, why in the world did he have to do that? Well, here's the reason. You know, you ever heard anybody say that you need to have a, a time alone with God, or you need a quiet time, Bible reading prayer every day? And you say, well, why, why do we have to do that? Well, because that's the thing to do as a Christian, and you've got to do that. No, there's a lot more to it than that. If you are going to please God, you better get to know him. And know what he wants. And plus, if you're going to remember what he wants, you better be familiar with it. And if you don't spend time with him every day, you'll never really know enough what to do. In fact, the number one thing that you need to do in your Bible study and prayer time and, and being time alone with God is that you find information and help through that time to keep your mind focused on him the rest of the time. <laughs> right? That's what it's for. And Daniel said, in order for me to keep my mind focused on pleasing God all day long, I need to spend special time with him, what? Three times every day. Now, is it a law that you have to, to spend time with God and, and pray in high devotion three times a day? Can I tell you that you have to? No. But I can say this. Daniel felt that in order for him to stay strong and true, he had to do that. Now, it makes us kind of really feel sorry for Daniel, right? 
He was such a weak person that he had to have his devotions three times a day to stay true. And we can get by on four or five times a week. Right? You know, sometimes when I read this, and I think if Daniel had to do it three times a day to stay true, I may need 25. I can't tell you, I'm not telling you how many times a day. But I can say this, if you don't do it every day, you will not keep your core value core. Right? It's going a bit knocked off target. See, one of the major things necessary to keep my life focused on pleasing Him and keeping God first in everything I do and say is spending time with God every day. How many times? I don't know. I think it's kind of interesting that Daniel picked three times. In fact, somehow, every time I talk about this, some people come up with some ideas about why it was three. I don't know why it was three. But I know Daniel felt it had to be at least three times if he was going to stay focused. I can't tell you how many it is for you, but you better find what it is to keep you focused. If you if you do one a day, if you do one a week and don't stay focused, you better add some more. If you do one a day and don't stay focused, then add some more, right? I don't know how many Daniel started off with, but he had committed himself to do it three times a day. Maybe, maybe he only started off one time a day, but when things got tougher, he went three times a day. I don't know how he did it, but, but one thing I can say, I'm not telling you you've got to do it three times a day, but I am saying you better do it every day. Because if you are not spending time with God, and this, this is more than just bowing your head and praying. How many of you pray three times a day? Most of us eat three times a day and we pray before we eat, right? That's not what it's talking about. In fact, just praying is not what it's talking about. You know, did you know you can pray and not even spend time with God? The Bible says one time this Pharisee went up and he prayed within himself. <laughs> I know the Pharisees did it. Is it possible that some of us sometimes just pray within ourselves? Not actually spending time with God? Bible reading is good, but you can read your Bible and not be spending time with God. Daniel, we know, read his Bible well and talked. He read whatever they had. He didn't have as much as we had, but he read. He prayed, he read time, and he, he just spent time with God, getting to know God. And keeping his mind focused on God. The first thing I'd like to challenge us with. Do we really want to keep our core value focused on pleasing God and everything? Do you really want that? It'll never happen if you don't find a way to spend time with God every day. Right? It's up to you. How many? I am intrigued why he picked three. I'm wondering if maybe three is a good idea. But I can't tell you that. I can just tell you you better do it at least once. (laughs) And if you need more, do it more, right? There's some days we might need 40 or 50. And some days we can handle one or two, right? Daniel committed himself to three times a day. I, I tell you. It's not enough to say, I want to please God in everything I do, and then just start living. 
Because in order to do that, you've got to spend time with God every day. Right? So when do we start that? <laughs> oh, next month will be all right. We'll be so messed up by then, it won't make any difference, right? No. We need to start yesterday. Or at least right now. Right? But there's another thing Daniel did. That wasn't all he did. Turn back to chapter 2. Chapter 2, we have a different story. In chapter 2, Daniel is serving under King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, he handled things different than Darius. Instead of putting all these men in certain parts, Nebuchadnezzar just trained and got together and trained all these wise men. And then if he needed something done, he sent a wise man. If he needed to know something, he asked the wise man. So they were his counselors and, and his servants, and he sent them out to do everything. So instead of working himself to death, he worked the wise men to death. So things were going pretty good until he went to sleep one night, and it said he dreamed a dream. Now, basically, we would understand it as he had a nightmare. It scared him to death. And he woke up early the next morning and he called the wise men together. Now, you'll see later, not all of them were there. Why do you think some of them weren't there? They had jobs. <laughs> they were already doing jobs that they were given that day. He gathered the ones that were gathered there and he said, Fellas, I've got a problem. I had this horrible dream last night. It scared me to death, scared me right out of my mind, made me forget everything. And I need you to tell me what it meant. And the wise men said, fine, we can do that. We're good at telling people what dreams mean. Just tell us what you dreamed and we'll tell you what it means. He said, I told you it scared everything out of my mind. I remember it. I just know it was bad. And they said, well, what do you expect us? We can't do anything if you don't tell us what it is. We can't explain it to you. He said, well, fellas, I hate to tell you this, but I've hired you to do that. And if you can't do it, you're in trouble. And they said, sorry, we can't do it. He said, well, I've got to get some more wise men that can do it then. <laughs> but I can't afford two bunches of you, so I'm going to have to chop all your heads off. <laughs> so he called in Arioch. Arioch was his main servant and head chopper offer. And, and he said, um, go get all the wise men and chop their heads off. Arioch said, yes, sir. And he started out the door to find wise men to chop their heads off. And as he was going out the door, Daniel was coming in the door. Now, it doesn't tell us what he'd been doing, but he was on the job. And he came in, and he and Arioch were good friends. And he said, uh, where are you going in such a hurry, Arioch? And he said, I've got to go chop all the heads off the wise men. <laughs> now, Daniel wasn't really happy with that because he was what? One of the wise men. He said, uh, what happened? So he explained to him what happened. He said, well, before you go, take me back to the king and let me see if I can get a delay. <laughs> and if you'll give me time, I will, I will interpret the dream. So he went in and he told the king Nebuchadnezzar that. And he said, okay, you've got time. Now, I want you to think with me. I want to see if, if you can think. What do you think? When Daniel got a little bit of time, what do you think would be the first thing he would do? David says, pray. What if, anybody? Pray? Does that sound good? That's not what he did. 
Look in verse 16. When Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time and he would show the king the interpretation, he got that. Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. And then they prayed. There's a point here that you can't miss. Daniel not only prayed or spent time with God three times a day, he had three companions. His companions were people that were committed to walk the same way he's committed and to encourage and help one another stay on target. Did you know the Bible talks a lot about companions? <laughs> I, I really get disappointed with the book. To me, the book of Daniel, I'd almost say, I, I, I never have thought, as far as I understand inspiration of Scripture, titles of books are not necessarily inspired. And I would like to almost to change this to Daniel and his companions. Because one of the things Daniel knew, that God never set us up so we can do it all by ourselves. We need what? We need companions. We need people to walk together. We need people to help us stay on target. Some of the worst things about the Christian life and some of the worst things about us as Christians is we think we can do everything ourselves. How many of you believe that God can supply everything you need to give you the strength to live the Christian life totally and completely? God can supply. We believe that. How does he supply? Through people. <laughs> God works through people. And God has made us part of a body. And, you know, body ought to work together. My, my right hand and my left hand are pretty good friends. And they work together real well. I, you'd hate to see them fighting one another, wouldn't you? That's the way it is in churches, right? The different members of the body spend more time fighting than they do cooperating, right? But I'm convinced of this, that one of the biggest problems in living the Christian life today is that we're too independent and we don't have the companions we need. We need time with God. We need time with companions. If you notice, all the way through the book of Daniel, it always goes in on this companions, I'm kind of disappointed sometimes because of people remember the companions by their ungodly names. If you haven't memorized, memorize Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That's their names. You don't call Daniel by his heathen name, which was what? Belteshazzar. I'd rather say Daniel. But I'd rather say Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah than those other three names that we all know, right? But Daniel knew he needed companions. You know, we, are a, we have a problem. And I think the problem is that Satan has a plan to keep us so focused on ourselves and our independence that we don't think we need anybody. And that's even true. Uh, most of us are human beings, right? <laughs> Do you realize that human beings are, are, are more independent than anybody? I mean, we just think we can get along without everybody else. The answer is you can't. God didn't intend it that way. Not only are we human beings, a lot of us are men. Right? And men think what? We don't need it. Did you know that, that some of you might already know this, men never get lost. We're not sure where we are, but we're not lost. 
And we'll always find the way to get there. Just give us time. We're not lost. I just tell my wife, honey, are you? I said, just trust me. We're going to get us there. Maybe an hour later, but we'll get us there. Besides that, we're not only human beings and men, but we are Americans. Did you know Americans are the most independent people in the world? The Canadian said Canada wanted freedom. America wanted freedom and independence. <laughs> it's the way they are. Besides that, most of us are independent, fundamental Christians. When you get all that independent in there, we don't need much help, right? No, we do. We need companions. And if you don't have them, you need some. How many do you need? I don't know. Daniel said he needed three. Did you notice it's three again? <laughs> I get, I'm really intrigued by this three sometimes. But I'm, I don't know enough to tell you you've got to have three. And you've got to have three times we've got to be. But I tell you what, Daniel went by the threes, didn't he? And Daniel said, if I'm going to stay true to my God, I've got to have three times with God every day. And I need at least three companions to keep me walking the way I need to walk. Let me ask you this. If you had three times with God every day and three companions, would you do a better job living the Christian life and keeping your core value in place? Would you? If we would, then what should we do? We'll pray about starting that next week. Right? <laughs> Let me tell you this. I'm convinced that if you really want to keep a core value and focus on pleasing God and keeping Him first in every area of your life, you'll never do it if you don't make some plans. And I can't tell you this is the only plan, but I'll tell you, these two work. How do I know? Look at Daniel. Daniel is one of the best examples of keeping his life focused on God and pleasing him in everything. And the two things he did to make it happen, the two things we know he talks about right here, he spent time with God three times every day and he had three companions. I'm doing my best to say, I want, I want the same kind of life Daniel had. I'm not necessarily looking for the same problems, but I want the same kind of life that focuses on pleasing God in everything I do. Keeping him number one. And I'll tell you this, if I can do that, It'll help avoid what? The brick walls, right? I don't know. Are you, you ever get excited about hitting brick walls? It's not a very exciting situation. I mean, you don't remember much about it. Except there's some things that you remember, some, some knots and things like that. But you see, the point is that you don't have to hit the brick walls if you stay on track. And keep your priority what it ought to be.
And in order to do that, what are you going to have to do? Learn from a man that did it. Daniel spent time with his God three times every day. And Daniel had three companions to keep him in the water in the way. <laughs> I challenge you, do you really want to keep your core value as a core value, pleasing God and everything? Do you want to keep that? Are you willing to do what it takes to do it? I, I almost still want to say three. But you better spend time with God every day and you better have companions. Is three a good number? It might be. Is it the best one? It might be. I would say this. Spend how many times a day you need to and have as many as companions as you need to keep you from changing the core values and hitting brick walls. And I challenge you one other thing. Do it now. God, we pray. Father, we thank you for the great lesson you give us from your word, the life of Daniel. And a great challenge to our hearts. Lord, may we recognize that to do what you want us to do, it doesn't happen if we don't have a plan. And we can't do it alone. We need time with you, and we need time with our companions regularly if we're going to stay focused on God and pleasing Him and everything. And may you challenge our hearts not to leave doing it the same old way. But may we commit ourselves to do what it takes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.